Welcome to Mothering Earth. I'm Salwa Khan. Like most people, I have always enjoyed getting out at night and marveling at the stars in the night sky. And like many others, I've seen the night skies polluted with artificial light, whether from streetlights, businesses, or from a neighbor's house. In this program, we're going to hear about light pollution, which affects not just our ability to see the Milky Way at night, but which also damages our health, our environment, and has a significant economic impact. My guest is Cindy Luongo Cassidy, who is a Hayes County Master Naturalist and a leader of the Texas section of the International Dark Sky Association. Cindy is also the organizer of the Texas Night Sky Festival and, of course, a strong proponent for dark night skies. I'd like to welcome you to Mothering Earth. Thank you. We're going to talk in some detail about the night sky movement and its concerns, but I'd like to have you start by just giving us a brief overview of the movement. The movement originally started with um, astronomy professors who were concerned about the loss of the night sky. As it grew, people became aware of the fact that the same type of lighting that protected the night sky also would reduce glare. It would allow people to see better. It would give you all sorts of health benefits. It would make communities and you know individual properties look better, be more aesthetically pleasing. It would save money. So you have all these things rolled together that are all a win-win right. for people that became um, much more a part of the movement than the original astronomy outlook for it. Uh, I'm interested in what led you to become an active proponent in this movement. Was there some uh, personal experience that led you to this? There was. I had always been, um, had a very difficult time with glare. I guess my eyes are sen sensitive. And at one point in my life when I was um, changing, you know, had, had resigned from a large corporation to take care of my grandchild, I decided I wanted to add something to that, something that I would work on, something that I cared about, that I could be enthusiastic about. And I, I looked at what, you know, was important to me and balanced that with something that I thought could make the better world for my grandchild. And I knew that I could only pick one thing <laughs> that, right. that, that if, you know, to focus on more would dilute my work. So I chose this and, and mentored under a, um, a lighting designer and a retired chief optical engineer from McDonald Observatory to learn about the details and the technical side of this. So you, so you had quite a bit of self-education going on there. Yes, yes, yeah. Um, I believe there are at least five main issues that are uh, the result of what we call light pollution. Mm -hmm. uh, and I'd like to have you talk about each of them, but I wanted to start with one of the main points, which concerns bright lighting on streets and sidewalks and from businesses. Uh, at night, which we're told is necessary so that people will be safe on the streets. And 
Yes, um, and, so and people is, have become to internalize that and right. and believe that they are safer. They um, have done surveys that, you know, the survey shows that people feel safer mm. with a light on. Right. Right. The issue becomes when that light causes glare, when that light is not shielded. So if you shield the source of the light, if you protect your eyes from the source of the light and reduce the amount of light, you can actually see better. And that's one of the huge educational things that we work on to help people understand that that bigger, brighter is not better. That in fact, bigger, brighter causes us to create very deep shadows that someone with ill intent could hide in. So it's less safe that people see better at night when you actually allow your eye to work the way it's supposed to at night and reduce some of that bright light. It's specially light that is in the color range of the very white light that we have during the daytime. You know, many people think, oh, I need that daytime feel. I need that daytime light. And they'll go buy a, you know, a very bright white light. We'll talk about them as 4,000 and 5,000 Kelvin lights. Mm -hmm. That's talking about the color temperature of it. If you look at a, an old-fashioned incandescent bulb, the color temperature or Kelvin rating of it is about 2,700 Kelvin. That's a very warm temperature. We see well with that. We see very well with that. It has been proved that light that has more of the blue wavelength that makes it a whiter light, that that actually causes us to have more glare and mm -hmm. reduces our ability to see. So, you know, so, so, so we then, really need to look at our security yeah. and safety. Right. We need to look at using lights that are shielded where we don't see the source of the light. And if you see the source of the light, you're going to have something that looks like a star, you know, even if it's at a distance. It may just blind you if it's close, but it'll look like a star from a distance if you're seeing the direct source of the light. Seeing the illumination is what you want to do. That's what you expect. And that's what helps you so that you are actually safer and can see where you're going. You're listening to Mothering Earth. I'm here with Cindy Luongo Cassidy, who is a proponent of night skies. And um, you were just talking about uh, the types of light that actually make it safer uh, at nighttime uh, on the streets. But I think you're also referring to the light we use in our homes. That's true. That's true. If you think about it, would you put a light um, in your home and not have a shade on it, a lampshade? You know, occasionally we have some in the ceiling, perhaps, that are not shielded. But in general, you're going to have a shade over it so that you use the illumination and don't have that bright glare in your eyes. So that we do that in our homes, we need to do that outside also. Um, also in our homes, we need to be careful of the color temperature of our lighting, especially during certain times of day. In the morning, naturally we would get and, and need that bright white light. Mm -hmm. But as dusk starts, our bodies start to produce melatonin if we don't have bright white lights around. The American Medical Association has recently come out with actually their second statement. And this was 
is a much stronger statement about specifically about the color temperature of lights. They're concerned with it. There's a long list of illnesses that they think are connected with the artificial light. You've got studies going back 30 years at this point showing the negative effects on human, animal, and plant health from having all the artificial light around it. We want to do things like protect ourselves from the type of light that comes from our, our cell phones, our computer screens, our TV screens. We talk about the blue light and the, and the white light, and that can be confusing because it's the blue wavelength of light mm -hmm. when they break it down on a spectrogram for, that gives us the, what looks to us like very white light. Mm -hmm. So that's why we talk about them right. together. But it's the kind of light you would get from your cell phone uh, if you're looking at your cell phone in a dark, exactly. In a exactly. dark room. Or, or a bright white LED. Yeah. Is, is Yeah. Okay. We'll give that. You can get LEDs that are mm -hmm. a lower color temperature, that are the very warm white. And those are, are great to use for visibility at night as well as better for our health. Not just us. It's almost every right. living thing on this planet. Right. Needs to have be protected, I should say, from um, that bright white light during the hours of darkness. Right. Even plants make melatonin. Is that right? It's, it is. It's a well, different process than yeah. we use, obviously. But, but they need it to rebuild their immune systems every night. So I wanted to go back to where you were talking about the uh, outdoor lights for businesses and mm -hmm. on the street. Sure. Uh, when you talk about shielded, you're basically just saying it needs some kind of shade, just like when you referred it's, to a it, home lamp where exactly. you would have a shade. You, you select a fixture that um, protects you from the normal viewing spot mm -hmm. from seeing the source of the light. Right. So you may not think of it so much as a shade as you know, it's not a large shade necessarily, right. but it protects you from a normal view from seeing the source of the light. And so if we had these on street fixtures, it would um, direct the light down? Not just down, but out to the sides also. If okay. you think about it from the light, if you come down at about a 65 mm -hmm. degree angle, that light spreads beautifully. And yet you don't have that glare Okay. directly in your eyes. You okay. use that illumination out in a huge area around a, a light, but you don't have that direct glare in your eyes that, you know, stops you from seeing as well. When we're saying that the body needs dark, we're talking about complete dark. Is that right? We're talking about... Or what level of we're talking about Yeah, we're talking about natural <laughs> darkness. We're talking yeah. about, I mean, you know, in, in general, there's enough starlight and moonlight sure. that that most people can, can yeah. see to walk around. Right. If you need more light, you know, sometimes people will, will um, I recommend that people will use something like a reflective strip mm -hmm. or um, even in a kid's room, have the, the stars that glow in the dark. Yeah. Okay. You put a path with those to the bathroom or whatever right. your needs are at night to be able to see, right. you know. Yeah. But um, you definitely don't want the white artificial light if you have a little bit of, need a little bit of light for your safety, mm -hmm. um, perhaps a bug light, you know, standard old bug light right. you can buy right. at the hardware the store, sort of yellow light. at the grocery store. It's, yeah. it's yellow. It has, v most of them have very little, if not 
a complete lack of light in that blue wavelength. Right. So that it is less likely to reduce your amount of melatonin that you're producing. And it takes, um, I think it's less than three minutes. If you are asleep and, and um, in the dark, you get up and turn a light on, it's less than three minutes that your melatonin production just completely stops, drops back to zero. And then when you turn the lights off, it doesn't start back at the level it did before. Really? It starts like it was dusk again and starts growing gradually so that you don't have time before morning to build yeah. it up to the level that you really need right before you you know before the sun comes up and yeah and stops your melatonin production i'm salwa khan you're listening to mothering earth and i'm here with cindy luongo cassidy uh, we're talking about night skies but right now it's time for a break this is Salwa Khan. I'm here with Cindy Luongo Cassidy on Mothering Earth. Um, we were talking about night skies and about the effects of bright light on human health. And one of the things uh, that you spoke about earlier was that it that uh, being exposed to certain uh, light temperatures, the bright, the color temperatures, bright white right. light. Mm-hmm. Uh, is actually damaging to us in terms of our production, our natural human production of melatonin, which is what helps us to do what? Well, melatonin, most people relate to um, their sleep cycle, and that is a huge part of it. But it also triggers a lot of chemical reactions within your body for other brain chemicals and just the general repair of your immune system every day. That's why there are so many other illnesses that are connected with this other than insomnia. Right. The one of the things that they have proved early on is that when melatonin is in your body at the level it should be during natural darkness, you know that you haven't been exposed to all these lights that stop you from producing it. So you've got melatonin in your in your blood stream during natural darkness. When you've got that, it stops the growth of many cancer cells. It just stops it. Mm-hmm. Now the next morning, as you reduce your production of melatonin, they will start produ- you know, growing mm-hmm. again. There, there have been multiple studies that have been done that have shown a one-to-one correlation with the level of light pollution in an area and the um, number of breast cancer cases in that area. It doesn't, you know, stop you from having breast cancer. No. It doesn't, you right. know, your lack of, of right. melatonin doesn't cause breast cancer, but that's a natural way to protect yourself from um, many different types of cancers. There's a, um, a doctor at UT um, San Antonio Research Center who spoke to a conference that we had over here in Dripping Springs a couple of years ago, and he had a list then of of about 18 to 20 different illnesses that were connected with that mm-hmm. lack of melatonin in your blood from all of the artificial light. Um, now, another thing that uh, just having all this light uh, out on the streets or even in our houses, um, it costs money. So what, is, what are the financial, what's the financial effect of oh, all this? Oh, it's, it's, a, it's a great win-win with that. When you shield your lighting and 
so that you're directing your light where you need it on your porch on your sidewalk on you know mm-hmm. your yard Businesses where you're going to walk or... on your business wherever you mm-hmm. need it to see when you do that in general if you're using the same type of bulb that you're changing to um, you can reduce the wattage in half and have the same amount of light same lumens on the surfaces where you need it to see so for instance if you had a you know one of these big um barn lights used to be all security lights the yeah um co-ops used to put them up electric companies would put them up and those used to be quite often 150 watt high pressure sodium when we have photometrics with what that looks like if you then change that bulb to a 70 watt high pressure sodium put a shield on it a metal shield that that then moves that you know spreads that light in about a 200 foot circle when you have it at the height that you normally you know mount those so you've got a huge amount of of light around you plenty light to see but you're controlling that light so it's not going to the neighbors and it's not going to the sky so you change it you can change it from a 150 to a 70 watt with this shield and have the same amount of light on the ground in that 250 foot circle so that saves you money because of the reduction in wattage and you can do the same thing on a smaller scale on your porch or out in your yard or on a business where once you control where you're putting that light you don't need as much light to see I'm here with Cindy Luongo Cassidy, and we're talking about the night skies and uh, lighting here on Mothering Earth. I wanted to also ask you about the uh, environmental costs Mm -hmm. of generating, basically when we're using a lot of light, I would think that we're generating a lot of electricity that maybe we don't need to generate. Well, that's true. So in that case, some of that electricity, uses, when it's generated, uses up water, which is a huge issue for us in Texas. So there's a whole program called Watt to Drop, you know, the drops of water being used for watts of electricity. And... You know, so yes, we're wasting water when we do it. We are also damaging our air quality because lights, you know, do put out chemicals that damage our air quality. Um, so we we've got that as far as an environmental issue goes. You also have um, issues that you know all the animals and plants on this earth, other than us, deal with. For instance, uh, navigation issues where they can't see where they're supposed to go or they animals these are animals right um you know like birds it it damages their their ability to navigate and then we come to uh, probably one of the issues that a lot of people find attractive i guess which is this uh idea that you go out at at night and you can see the stars you can see the milky way exactly yeah so talk about that all of all of the things that we do other than just turning it off and actually that helps too but all of the things that we do to reduce the amount of light to shield it put light where we need it and and not to put it elsewhere um, all those things then allow us to to see the stars to to see you know the whole universe and start to contemplate our place in the universe or to be inspired 
for art or science or writing. It's so connected to our culture and to our history as a people that is something that we're losing that connection to. You know, kids now will, will read you know, something that was written 200 years ago about the night sky or mythology about it, and they don't get it at all. The, you know, we're because losing that. Because when they that. go out to look at it, they can't Exactly, exactly. See about 80% yeah. of the U.S. population lives where they cannot see the Milky Way. This is very important. You know, it's important yeah. for people yeah. to be able to, to see that. Now, I understand that you wrote a lighting ordinance for the city of Dripping Springs. I was one of the ones, yes. So uh, is is Dripping Springs now a, a certified, I don't know if the term is dark sky or night sky? Yes, yes. City um, actually, a... Dripping Springs was the first international dark sky community or designated as an international dark sky community by IDA. First one in Texas. It was a six in the world. Oh, wow. And now from the publicity from that and some of our educational efforts, we have um, communities all over Texas. We have parks in Texas that um, either have or gotten been, become designated as dark sky places or are working towards it. It's um, really changed the landscape out there. People are, are, are uh, looking at this and saying, wow, we could do that, and look at all the good reasons to do that. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, you, you mentioned the IDA. Now tell us what that is. IDA, International Dark Sky Association. Okay. Right. And they, they are the ones who would certify a They are the ones who community. certify a, a community, a park, a, a, you know, a region, a um, and, and that's based on things that have happened in that area in right. terms of Right. They life. have criteria based on each one. Say a park may have different criteria than a community. Right. A park may not have the authorization to, to um, enact an ordinance where a community would. So a community is required to have an ordinance. Right. A park, you have to, you know, have other criteria and say you have to be in control of this area and, and the lighting around it and work with your neighbors beyond it, that type of thing. Okay. One thing you mentioned uh, earlier was um, about how the the glow from cities uh, can spread out, you know, way way beyond where you miles may imagine. And miles. And you gave a good example. I wonder if you could talk about the from Enchanted Rock. From in Enchanted Texas. Rock, which is right. one of our two state parks that are currently designated as um, as dark sky parks. Um, we had. Um, a group led by um, Bill Wren of McDonald Observatory brought, borrowed equipment from the National Park Service that we could take, or they took, um, these specialized pictures from 360 degrees from the top of Enchanted Rock. So all the way around it. And then um, the people at National Park Service processed those pictures and produced a view of what the night sky looks at like. They took out the natural light from the stars and moon. So what you could see was, here's all the um, human-created lighting that you can see from um, Enchanted Rock that then keeps us from seeing the stars there. Well, um, of course, the biggest dome in the sky 
was from 77 miles away from San Antonio. Austin had a reasonable, you know, glow, but then you could you could pinpoint each different town within, you know, 100 miles of San of Enchanted Rock and and see the light coming from that community. At Big Bend, which is also which is the first national park in Texas that was designated as an international dark sky park. And the, I believe our, our first dark sky place in Texas at all. But from there, you can see the lights in, in El Paso, 300 miles away. So that's, a, that's really a dramatic illustration of the fact that you can be hundreds, literally hundreds of miles from somewhere and be experiencing light pollution from there. Exactly, exactly. So uh, I understand that the next Texas Night Sky Festival will be coming up uh, early next year. Um, tell us about that. It is just a fun day. It's March 18th. It's a Saturday. So that, in that addition to all like, the exhibits yeah. and activities and fun we have during the day, storytelling, then we also have um, the solar scopes during the day. But at night, we do a star party and fill the field with telescopes and astronomers ready for you to come look through their scopes. The next Texas Night Sky Festival is coming up in March 2017. Go to their website and get the details at texasnightskyfestival.org. Please send any comments or suggestions for future shows to me at gardentoad at vcs.com. That's gardentoad, one word, at vcyes.com. Until next time, this is Salwa Khan signing off for Mothering Earth.